So at this time, the younger children who are not staying with us can meet their teachers in the back. They're also welcome to stay here. We will welcome them and invite them if they choose to do so. Uh, But while they do that, you and I are turning to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This marks the end of our series on the Lord is. Uh, not that we won't ever talk about who the Lord is again, but the, this, this particular series titled The Lord Is, we're going to end it with, with this theme of the Lord is shepherd. And you might be wondering, why aren't we in Matthew? Why aren't we in Luke? Why aren't we in Micah? Some, some of these classic Christmas texts. Well, there's a reason for that. We'll, we'll look at some of those, but the fact that the Lord is our shepherd has, has a very real implication for this Advent Christmas season. And, then, and I hope you'll see it in just a moment. Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David, and it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, growing up, we all got different presents for Christmas throughout the years, isn't that right? And as kids, we we got toy animals sometimes. Um, I've heard kids ask for dinosaurs and, and ponies and, and bears and all sorts of other things. Uh, when we took our kids to SeaWorld, uh, they both asked for uh, an orca and a dolphin. So we got that for them. They, they sleep with these stuffed animals every, every, every day. You know what animal I've never heard a kid ask for? A sheep. Not once. I've never heard a group of kids playing and pretending in the park and then saying, I want to be a sheep. I just want to ba in a field all day. Nobody says that. I've never heard it once. And likewise, if I were to ask you, Christian, to describe yourself using an animal, what, what might you describe yourself as? Are you a mighty lion? Are you a bear? Are you a tender bunny? I don't know. What might you describe yourself as? How many of us would describe ourselves as sheep. And there's a reason for that, right? Sheep have no defense mechanism. They're not particularly beautiful. They can't fight or flight. And if we could measure their IQ, it it would be pretty low. And so why does God refer to us in Scripture as sheep so often? (laughs) Well, (laughs) on our own, we have no defense mechanism against the forces of evil, right? We're not particularly beautiful on our own. And given the fact that we return to the same sins over and over again, if we were to measure our spiritual IQ, it wouldn't be particularly high. 
Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> but that, that's why we need this song. That's exactly why we need the song, because we are sheep. And we tend to think of ourselves as, as not sheep. And so in this, in this Advent and Christmas season, we need, to remi- we need to remind ourselves that left to our own, we are headed down the wrong path. Even with new hearts, even with the new hearts that we have in Jesus Christ, we still continue to let other things shepherd us, guide us, lead us instead of trusting in our shepherd. And so we need the God-made man. We need Jesus Christ. We need our shepherd to turn us, to change us, to guide us in right paths. And so what does this shepherding look like? We'll see this morning that the Lord cares for his people, the Lord comforts his people, and the Lord covenants with his people. Let's start in verse 1. That's where David starts. David starts off by giving us something we should all be able to sing about. That's what the Psalms were for, right? Singing. Psalm 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. Now, we, I think we instinctively know this doesn't mean, like, I'll never want anything. I, I'm still going to want food and clothes and companionship. In today's language, it might be better to translate it lack. Maybe I shall not lack or I shall not be in want because the Lord provides everything we need. And so the Lord is rightly called our shepherd because like sheep, we need things. And like sheep, we don't have the ability to provide those things for ourselves. In a moment, in a moment, we could lose our jobs we could lose the use of our hands, the use of our arms, the use of our legs, the use of our brains. Sheep do not hunt or gather like lions or ants. They are fed by their shepherd. And this is difficult for us to swallow because our whole lives are, are spent going in the opposite direction, making ourselves and our children more and more independent, more and more capable of providing for yourselves. When our kids get to be a certain age, we say, okay, you're on your own. Get out of here. Many of us fancy ourselves the helpers, not the ones being helped. And so it's easy to take it for granted and miss what the Holy Spirit is saying here. You can't even do the most basic of things without the Lord providing it. Look how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? All things are from God, right? This isn't only reassuring, it's humbling. Because look at what he says in the next breath. In the same verse, he says, If then you received it, why do you act as if you didn't? Why do you boast? Why do you pretend that you have anything on your own? And yet despite our arrogance, despite our pride, our lack of gratitude, our shepherd does more than simply supply the essentials. He does more than provide us with clothes and food and water. He also cares for his sheep. That's at the heart of this psalm. So look at verses 1 and 2. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Keep those up there for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to go through these really quick. Look, look at the picture that these words paint. Green pastures as opposed to 
yellow or brown pastures where there's no food, right? We have plenty to eat. Rushing water, right? Think of like a, a, a rapid, okay? Those present a danger of being swept up or danger of hiding animals. But no, he leads us beside still waters. This food and water, as well as a safe place to enjoy them, what does it do to us? It restores our soul. God isn't in the business of saying, you have everything you need, get out there and do better. This is a restoring God, a gentle shepherd. And finally, when we are ready, when we are restored, when we have everything we need, he doesn't just say, okay, you're on your own. He leads us like a tender father holding a child by the hand. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Because remember, I am an unintelligent sheep. Left to my own, I would fall off a cliff. He leads me in paths of righteousness. What, is, what does this do to you to know that the shepherd cares for you in this way? Well, uh, I was watching a show recently where an employee uh, of a federal agency was getting headhunted. They were getting shopped around, basically. And she was really, really good at her job. And so the, this owner of a private security company uh, offered her a management position, and she refused right away. And so he said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. This job is much safer than the one you have right now chasing criminals and terrorists. I'm, I'm sure you, you want this job rather than the one you have. And she said, no, I'm, I'm happy with the job I have. And so he continued, okay, but this, in this job I'm offering you, you get six weeks paid vacation. I mean, how many weeks do you get here? She laughed, three weeks. So you'll take it. No, I, I've, I've got a job, I'm good. So he tried one last thing, the thing that always gets everybody. I'm willing to pay you $750,000 a year. What are you making now? She laughed again. Oh, that's more than I make in 10 years. So you'll take it. We have a deal. To which she responded, you don't understand. This job offers something I can't get anywhere else. So it doesn't matter how much vacation, how many benefits, how much money you offer. I'm staying here. And Christian, I, I would make the argument from Scripture that this is exactly what Christmas is all about. Other things are constantly headhunting you, competing for your attention, your devotion, you, even your soul. And they're nice. Let's not pretend they're not. Let's not pretend that money isn't real nice to have. But Jesus was born precisely to provide you with what you really need with what those other things cannot provide. And once we realize all that we have in Jesus, those other things become much less attractive. And so the question is, what do we have in Jesus? According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, we have no less than everything. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places everything now i know that's a big word and paul does too so then he, he continues and breaks down what that everything means we're going to look at two other things later but for now i want to focus on verse seven he says in him in jesus our shepherd we have redemption 
through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And what I would emphasize for you this morning is the same thing that the angel emphasized to Joseph and Mary. Jesus Christ did not come for anything else than forgiveness of sins. Your greatest need is not to get a different job with a nicer boss. Your greatest need is not to attend more parenting seminars. Your greatest need is not to read a better marriage book. Your greatest need is to have your sin, your guilt, dealt with, eliminated, paid for. The reason you lash out at your spouse is not because they don't pay you enough attention or forget to do the dishes. That's the catalyst. The reason you lash out in anger is because of your sin. The reason we are tempted to be rude, disrespectful, impatient, and arrogant is not because of what's going on out there. It's because of what's going on in here. It's because of your sin. And so Jesus Christ, our shepherd, did something that no shepherd has ever done or will ever do. Laid down his life for the sheep. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He has given you a new heart so that in the face of temptation, we can say like that federal agent, no thank you. I have been cared for by my shepherd. I have everything I need. Amen. That is the care that the Lord provides for his people. But he also does more than that. He also provides comfort. It's easier to say that the Lord cares for his people when, when things are going well. But even when things are not pleasant or, or easy, the Lord not only cares, but he comforts his people. Look, look at this statement. Look at this, this ridiculous statement in verse 4. Look at this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Who says that? Who, who makes a statement like that? We, we don't talk like this, so, so we have to explain valley of the shadow of death here. Have you ever been in a cave? You ever been in a cave? Yeah. You know that at a certain point, if you go in far enough, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. You can't see anything. You could put your hand right here and just nothing. And that kind of darkness starts to get to you. You start fearing things. Are you going to fall? Are you going to step on something sharp? Or for some of you, your greatest fear, will a spider or a snake get me? That's the point David is making. There's no way for us to see what lies ahead. We have no clue what our careers, our relationship, our health is going to be like in the future. But even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the place with the greatest dangers, where we can't see all the dangers that lie ahead, what should be our attitude? He says in verse 4, I will fear no evil. Now the question is why? Is it because no danger will come to us? Is it because as long as you trust in Jesus that nothing bad will ever happen to you? No. No. You will fear no evil because, as he says, you are with me. The shepherd is with me. What difference does that make? Well, what, is a, what does a shepherd do with his sheep in the presence of danger? He, he does two things which is why he has a rod and a staff. Um, so I don't, I don't know how many summers you spent working as a shepherd, um, but a, a shepherd would, would often carry two tools, two hands, two tools. The first, this is the one I think I would carry in my right hand. 
the first is is a is like a club. It's I mean you hear rod, but it's more like a like a caveman club. And so if any dangers came to the sheep, if a wolf or a bear tried to to tried to grab an easy snack, you grab the rod and you whack them. Get out of here. These are my sheep. This is not your food. So it's so it's more of an attack. It's more of a protection detail. But the one, the other one, the staff is what you think of when you think of a shepherd's staff. It's the candy cane. It's it's the gatherer, keeping them from getting lost or falling off a cliff. I would suggest to you every parent has at least two jobs when they're with their kids. Hopefully you don't have a rod um, and a staff, but the, the principles apply here. The, the, your first job is to protect your kids from anyone seeking to do them harm. That includes eliminating any danger from someone seeking to hurt your children. That's why some of you take self-defense classes or carry pepper spray. That's the rod. That's your protection against danger. But, but the second one is, is more defense. If you see your children running towards the road, you're not going to pepper spray the car. You're, you're going you're gonna to gather your children in. right? You reel them in, keeping them away from danger. That's the staff. And what do God's rod and staff do? That's the question we have to answer this morning. Do they protect us from all danger? He could. God certainly could. And surely we are protected at times, I would say even often. We are protected from robberies and hurricanes and falls and all sorts of other dangers all the time, most of which we don't realize. The question is, what do we think, what enters our hearts when these things do happen? What happens when a hurricane completely decimates our house? What happens when someone does break in and steal from us? Did our shepherd forget about us? Was he powerless to protect? No, Christian, why do you fear no evil? Verse 4, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they do something very specific. They comfort me. That is why the shepherd, the Lord, comforts his people. Our shepherd has the ability and the willingness to protect us from all danger. Our shepherd has the ability and the willingness to gather us back in when we are wandering. But our shepherd also has the love for his people to ordain certain things into our life that we would never ask for. All of you right now are thinking of, of an example. There have, there have come certain things into your lives that you never would have asked for, that you are now at least somewhat grateful for. And there are other things that we go to for comfort. Distracting entertainment, shopping, work, food, hobbies, hanging out with friends. Some of us still or used to find our identity in our athleticism, in our intelligence, in our memory. So because the Lord loves us, and because sin will always exist, and we will try to find comfort in all sorts of things that were never made to give us comfort, the Lord, our shepherd, sometimes lovingly takes those things away. And so when we lose our job, when we lose family members and friends, when we lose what we thought would bring us happiness and comfort, that's where we find 
in those moments, in those rock bottom moments, that's where we find that the Lord and only the Lord gives us true and lasting comfort. How does he do this? I told you we'd be back in Ephesians 1. Here we go. 13 and 14. In Jesus you have redemption of sins through, the, uh, through his blood. You also have, when you heard the word of truth, so this isn't something to aspire to, you have this right now. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He guarantees your inheritance until we acquire possession of it. David could say that the Lord was with him. And you might be jealous of Old Testament people because they got to see God's miracles firsthand. But we have something that they could never have imagined. We have the very Spirit of God making His dwelling in us. I don't know about you, but that comforts me to know that I am not alone no matter what I'm going through. It comforts me to know that nothing is happening to me without my God ordaining it and allowing it. But the Spirit is not just subjectively comforting. He is an objective guarantee. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death now, when Jesus comes back, I will one day inherit my inheritance. I will one day inherit eternal life. I will one day inherit a world where there is no valley of the shadow of death. There is no sin. There is no weakness. There is no crying, no tears. There is only joy and happiness and the way the world was supposed to be. And that comforts God's people most of all. Amen. That is what we look forward to. When we remember when Jesus Christ was born, we also are supposed to remember when he comes back. His first coming reminds us of his second. And we know that because more than comforting, more than caring for his people, the Lord also covenants with his people. In fact, his covenanting, if I can make up that word, is the reason he cares and comforts. And so what's a covenant, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. A covenant is a promise. It's a promise. I mean, there's all sorts of fancy definitions, but that's what it is. It's a, it's a promise. It's a contract. An agreement between two or more people. And in the Bible, God covenants with his people, promising to protect them, to care for them, promising to be their God and that they will be his people. But in this psalm, he shows that this agreement is more than a contract that he's obligated to fulfill. There is a tender-hearted love that God extends to his people. As the shepherd, he does something no shepherd would ever do with his sheep. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It, this shows you two things. Um, one I'm going to mention, the other one I'm going to emphasize. This shows you that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear your enemies because there is coming a day when you will dine, when you will feast before your enemies. God has already conquered all your enemies. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's something I need and could never do on my own. But who sits at the table? I know some of you have weird relationships with your dogs. I, I'm not here to judge. Um, but I, I, 
I hope none of you uh, like prepare a, a, a table for your dogs. I hope none of you like sit them at the dining room table with a chair and a, a... again, I'm not, not here to judge. Um, you, you know, you, you would and should defend your dog from attacks. You would and should go find your lost dog. You would and should snatch your dog back if they were about to fall off a cliff. All the things that a shepherd would do with their sheep. And this would be very comforting to your dog, and it would show your dog that you care for them. But he's still your dog. He's still your pet. Though you would certainly feed your dog, you wouldn't let him sit up at the table. He gets his own bowl on the floor, because only the members of the family sit at the table. And that's exactly what this psalm communicates to you. That's exactly the whole point of Advent and Christmas. Jesus came not only to live a perfect life, not only to die for your sins, not only to rise again from the dead. Jesus came to covenant with his people, to make his sheep his brothers. He came to make former enemies into children of God. It's actually the whole reason he came, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 4. Because he says that there was a fullness of time. That there was like a calendar of events. And when the, when the calendar came, when that date came, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law. We tend to focus on that. But the redemption had a purpose. Jesus didn't stop at redemption. The redemption was so that we might receive an even greater honor. Dogs can be redeemed. Sheep can be redeemed. But children are part of the family. Children sit at the table and dine with the father and the brother. He came so that you might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, he continues, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so we should rightly think of ourselves as sheep who are incapable of protecting and providing for ourselves. We need that humility. But at the same time, we also need the dignity. We are not farm animals that God was hesitant to save. We are not pets that are peripherally included in God's family. God made a covenant with Israel and through his son, he extends that covenant to us so that we might become sons and daughters of the king through adoption. Amen? And so what can we say as children? We can say verses 5 and 6. We can say, my cup overflows, as David says in verse 5. We can say, as he says in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we end here, and as we go grab our children, let me remind you of, of the gospel that these verses point to. The gospel doesn't just tell you not to sin. The gospel enables you not to sin. It addresses why you sin and enables something different. Because the, the issue is not, I get angry, I should stop. The issue is, why do you get angry in the first place? And how does the gospel address that? Why do we get angry 
Why do we get impatient? Why do we lie? We do these things because, at least in part, we think the people around us owe us something. We try to get things from people and from stuff that they were never designed to give. I'm angry at my friends because they owe me more respect, more love, more attention, more energy. I am impatient with my children because they owe me respect and obedience. I think this new house, this new car, this new boat, this new job will finally fill that hole. It will finally give me the happiness that I've been looking for. But you're trying, you're trying to parachute with a Kleenex. You're trying to do something that it was never designed to do. It's not the Kleenex's fault. You don't need to get a stronger Kleenex. You need a parachute. You don't need to change your spouse so that they can make you happier. The issue isn't that you need to make your children more obedient, though that's part of the gospel. The issue isn't that you need to get a different job, though that might be something you need to do. The issue is you're trying to get something and other people to do something they were never designed to do. And the gospel addresses that by showing me that my shepherd cares and comforts me and gives me everything I need. And so, yeah, it would be great for the children to hear this. So as your children rejoin you, they're going to join us as we, as we end the sermon and get to the heart of the gospel. Because this hope that we have, this hope that we have is not just for today, Christmas. It's not just for tomorrow. It's not just for next month. It's for next, or next year. It is all the days of my life. When you have trouble at work or at school, children and adults, when your marriage struggles or you have trouble obeying your parents, children, when you hate life or when you love life, the promise, the covenant remains the same. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That is the promise that you have in Christ your shepherd. Would you say that with me? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We're going we're gonna to end. Sorry, that is, that's true. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's just not part of what we're going to say. And so, and so I, I want to end by reading one passage of Scripture. I want to end by, by reading the hope that Christians have in the very last book of the Bible. It's a glimpse into what our future holds if we trust in Christ our shepherd. And it was written precisely to encourage God's people and give them the strength to endure whatever they might face, whatever valley of the shadow of death you might be in. And it reads like this. In the last book of the Bible, John saw in a vision that God had given him where one of the elders addressed him, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? And so John said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in their midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen, Christian. The sheep don't have to make themselves worthy of the shepherd. The sheep cannot make themselves worthy of the shepherd. It is not up to what you believe. It is not up to how well you believe it. It is not up to how well you obey. It is up to your shepherd. He saves you. He guides you to springs of living water. And there will one day be a day where there is no more valley of the shadow of death, no more sadness, no more tears. That is where he leadeth me, as we are about to say. Join me as the musicians come forward in prayer. Dear God, thank you that you are our shepherd, that you lead us in paths of righteousness for the sake of your name, for the sake of people knowing that you are God, that you are good. I pray that our children would hear that, that they would rejoice in it, that they would take hold of it even now at a young age. I pray that we would never get used to it, that we would always and forever rejoice in it, and that you would make it new and fresh in our minds. And so as we celebrate this, this Christmas day, I pray that you would help us to, to run away from other things that try to shepherd us and lead us. And may we go to you. May we be your faithful follower as you guide us by the hand. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our shepherd. Amen.